Greetings, future fossils. Michael Garfield here with another episode of the podcast that explores our place in time. I am here in Santa Fe on the road out to give a talk about the evolution of time at the Global Eclipse Gathering in Oregon this week, as well as to play some music in the Wheel of Fortune Tarot Tea House installation. If you're heading out there, I hope you'll find me, or maybe in a couple weeks at Burning Man, I'll be camped with Camp Soft Landing at 930NG and doing talks and music for the Palenque Norte speaker series, which OG heads among you may recognize as the series that was co-founded by Terrence McKenna himself back in the 1990s. I haven't been out to Burning Man in four years, and the last time I tried to see an eclipse, the eclipse was itself eclipsed by a medical office building. So I'm pretty excited to get out there, and I'll be recording all of those talks and music for all my Patreon subscribers. All 65 of you and counting, you are very dear to me. It's a beautiful thing to remember that even though this show is rhetorically framed as for an unborn audience of future digital archaeologists, these vital conversations about how we can be better ancestors to that as yet unborn world is happening with people that are alive today, that you are a part of this. Newly joining that role call, I want to give a special shout out and thanks to Jordan Smith. David Thomason and Peyton Gardner for signing up on Patreon this week. I'm only 35 people away from reaching my goal for this year, recruiting folks into the modest but growing movement of people who care about encouraging a long-term view for our species and our planet. When I reach 100 people, I have a secret folder of awesome stuff I'm going to drop on all of you guys. And for as little as $2 a month, you can get in there and immediately access all the little extras and special features that I've posted in there as a gesture of my profound gratitude to everyone for helping me turn this passion project into what will seemingly very soon be a legitimate living of course, my gratitude does not restrict itself to just the folks with money. I'm glad you're listening, and I wake up grateful every day for all of you who have been telling friends about this show and posting cool news items in the Future Fossils Facebook group. Today's conversation with my friend Maria Stark, a true comrade in the cohort of inspired young people helping to revive wisdom traditions in our digital post-modernium. I just want to let you know real quick about some of the upcoming episodes recorded with science fiction author Elliot Pepper, my buddy Andrew O'Keefe, who is an archivist for Singularity University, Christopher Sheehan. We had a cool talk about the sacred dimensions of tattooing and using ink to record time in the body. Evan Snyder and I got into the nerd intricacies of Alien Covenant, the new Alien film. I think I'm going to save that one as an exclusive for Patreon supporters because it's a little much, but we had a, a lot of fun with that. Visionary artist Hannah Faith Yada, podcaster and mixed mental artist Hunter Motts, who I heard from Chris Ryan's podcast, Tangentially Speaking. He and I had a superb conversation about the future of education. And, oh, 
a super exciting double episode with one of my greatest inspirations, historian and mythographer poet William Irwin Thompson, whose recent memoirs of 40 years of thinking together at the edge of history was just published and provides a really compelling look back at what it was like to be there at the cutting edge, the frothy, emergent cusp of the world that we're all living in today. But for now, I'm just really glad to share this talk with Maria. There are very few people that I feel as much of a sense of common identity and resonance with. And we had a superb chat about the future of human reproduction and the reclamation of the sacred feminine in an age with three parent families and artificial wombs. It's a weird one and it's a treat and we had a blast. And as I'm sure you can tell from our copious, possibly excessive laughter. So <laughs> sit back and enjoy and thanks again for listening. Much love to you all. And if you're at the Global Eclipse Gathering or at Burning Man, find me, come say hello. Paz y amor. Well, happy summer, Maria. How you doing? I'm fucking awesome. I'm feeling so good. Yeah? What's new? Uh, I released an album last month that was like a big <laughs> experience. I just got to play main stage at Sonic Bloom, which is kind of mind-blowing. Whoa! Way to go. To, with, yeah, not with Maria Stark, but with Evocation, Kalia Scintilla. I got to be a part of their stage performance but it was ridiculous like it was a total like whoa kind of i'm like oh this is what they're this is what it's like <laughs> it's a huge crowd yeah it was huge i like it was amazing i'm kind of still high from it and i just quit my job of seven years so i could pursue the art of uh being myself <laughs> What were you doing for seven years? I was working as a music therapist at a school for children and adults with autism. Oh, wow. Which was fun. I mean, it's music therapy. That's my degree. It's what I am doing anyway, moving forward. But the last year or so have been um, steeped in working a whole different edge around sexuality and the voice and the womb and, and women and relationships. And people are just like hungry for that shit. So I'm, I'm ready to give it to them full time and be able to travel. Like I'm, I'm so like, I don't have a child, but I'm at that age of wondering. And then I just really want to like go for it with music and travel and tour and teach and just do the thing and not have to be at a school where I'm like, Oh, see, I thought I thought you were saying I, I I'm at that age where I'm starting to want kids, so I better get this traveling out of the way before. Yeah, kind of. That's the kind of uh, the vibe. Like, I don't know if the kids are going to happen, but I'm at that age where I'm just like, oh, this it could it's getting closer. I gotta get my gotta get my yayas out as far as like <laughs> tour and like do that. And I just haven't because I've had a job. Like I've been a weekend warrior touring musician i'm over it i want to be able to go places for a month or two if i feel like it totally i actually i had a very similar kind of i'm actually still processing a very similar crisis because i've been 
in uh, this long-term relationship since the dawn of time. And... The one you've always been in. Yeah, the one I've always been in. But it's like, she's very <laughs> she's very tied down to a, a job in one place. Mm-hmm. And so that question of how to how to live that like what you're talking about, you know, like, I think I'm just going to join this scientific research expedition or like, I'm going to get on this <laughs> boat that isn't coming back for six months. And I keep telling myself that this is how it always used to be. And that if I were to take someone from 200 years ago and say, okay, check this out, you're going to be gone for three months, but you get to talk to this person through the magic box, then they would be like, vastly improved circumstances over my own. They'd be like, wait a minute, I get, I get frozen water in a cup too while I'm doing this. I'd be like, you know, but nowadays we're all like very, I think in a weird way, like, it makes it worse if you can talk to your friends back home while you're gone, (laughs) you know, like it's actually, we miss each other more, I think now than we used to. I mean, maybe that's in my imagination. Maybe it was just really profound and awful and difficult for people back in the day to be a fisherman's wife, you know, but like that issue of how do you reconcile? Cause, cause like you and I were both at the tribal convergence, thing back in 2011 and they split this was like a little conference for i don't know what you call that neo-tribal organizers or something but they split us all into like regional groups for a breakaway discussion that was like you know colorado area people pacific northwest area people and then they had the wild card people Uh and i've been thinking about that ever since about how there is there is this like ever since we settled down the nomadic layer of humanity hasn't stopped being that way and there's this weird in the modern person or the postmodern person there's a a tension between most of our network most of our people for most people are sedentary city dwelling people you Mm. know and so we don't like for those of us like yourself and myself for those of us that are like i don't like using this term because it's a it's pejorative but the gypsy type people you know right. the people who like who have the like travel bug who remember like oh yeah i'm a bard i like i travel about to go spread the seeds of of the place that i'm in and like the harvest of the magic there and there's like a profound po- cross-pollination that happens except <laughs> we're like stuck because we're like children of the suburbs you know like we're <laughs> we're on our like 15 year rumspringa and like one day we're going to finally go back to the plantation and grow roots. And settle and- down. I've been, I like wrote a song last year, uh, like about the, it's like the phases, like the, the, like the farmer works so hard as the farmer so that their kid can go study and be a teacher. And then the teacher works so hard so that their kid can be a lawyer. And then they're the lawyers and the doctors, they work so hard so their kids can be the artists. And then the artists are out there traveling at all the world and the artists, what do the artists want to do? They want to go be fucking farmers, right? Right. <laughs> Oh my God. Well, I actually saw, I think it was, was it New York Times? Where was it that I saw? I took a picture of this headline on the front page of the paper that was like, why are millennials so into gardening? (laughs) I was like, on the front page of the newspaper, come on. But, well, it's like the pre-trans, it's like the, I don't know, 
my partner and I get into the the conversation about the pre-trans fallacy a lot. Are you okay, familiar yeah. with it? Is yeah, yeah, the, but, but talk the, to you know, talk to our our audience. I've got to yeah, stop assuming pre-trans fallacy. I mean, because we are in this time, like we're, it's becoming very important. Like we're 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 reconnecting and rekindling this longing of like, oh, I'm so disconnected from the food in in this modern way, um, and like that's part of re-inhabiting the village and becoming a person of place is that I can. Uh, like cultivate a garden here. And so like, this is, you know, connecting to Pachamama. Um, And then there's that part of it of just like, oh, yeah, because that's how it always was. And it was so good back then. That's what Ken Wilber's, you know, that whole reality calls the pre trans fallacy that there's this sort of myth in the like, um, green meme or in the like, you know, world centric worldview that's emergent in a lot of places with a lot of benefits to it. But that, that it used to be so good back in the day, back when the, when women ruled the world, be like this whole, yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the, can't we just yeah. reinstitute child sacrifice? Like I really, <laughs> I really liked it when we crushed a little boy and a little girl under a giant rock in order to get the fertility God to like sign on our new farming operation. Uh, back when it used to be so good and so we we chat a lot about that of like what what part of the you know our this like tribal culture is rooted you know is their center of gravity is in this like oh that myth of like oh it used to be so good and like what is the benefit of ancient wisdom versus the benefit of like well, just because it's old doesn't mean it's good. You know, how do you balance the like, just because the the wisdom is ancient doesn't mean it's like the most effective. It just, it depends, you know? Totally. Like, are you, okay, so Mother Ayahuasca is telling those guys to fire psychic darts at each other all day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> where to go, lady? Like, yeah, but no, so, so. I feel like a lot of Ken Wilber's stuff he pulled actually without attribution from William Irwin Thompson. I don't know if you're you're familiar with him, but like an integral theory friend of mine years ago turned me on to this guy's stuff. He was a professor of history at MIT for a while, and then he was he's always been on the sort of mystical end of things, so he felt like he was completely out of place at MIT. In, and left in the 70s and started his own sort of post-academic think tank type thing mm-hmm. called uh, the Lindisfarne Association. And I'm reading this book uh, that he wrote back in the 70s called At the Edge of History. And he talks about how history is like a dial. Mm. And so like when you're – he doesn't – you know, it's it, – you can put this into the sort of like evolutionary spiral, you know, where it's – you go – and and it's in the work of Ken Wilber also that there's like a an oscillation – between the values of one age and the values of the next. And then those val- the, the values of age one are sort of revived in age three as a way uh-huh. of pushing away from age two. Right, you know? right. So, well, the, like, the pushing off of the stage before to be able to assert myself here in the new center of gravity. But right. meanwhile, all of the goods got trapped in the shadows somewhere there. Right, right. So a lot of... William Irwin Thompson's writing actually is a really eloquent exploration of this exact thing of what comes back up in our efforts to distance ourselves from modernity. Mm-hmm. You know, he talks about, about <laughs> neo-pagan, you know, he's like writing in the seventies about internet culture, like before mm-hmm. there's a World Wide web and he's nailing it. Like he's, mm-hmm. he's, he talks about how, and I'm curious to know what you think about this stuff too, because this is right there in the wheelhouse of the the work that you said you've been doing, but he talks about like 
how as more and more of our life becomes mechanized, then we end up mechanizing our sexuality. And totally. so when we do, totally. when, in, in, as, as like the, what he calls the sunset effect, like right before something is extinguished by history, it burns even brighter and more colorfully. He says in the mechanization of sexuality and in the loss of the self into the technized civilization where the emphasis returns to this sort of pre-modern focus on the collective rather than the individual that mm-hmm. we get this explosion of what he calls the individual as an institution. So like, mm. for example, this mm. is my branded podcast, like, right? Like this is, I am an entire media publishing company right now, but I also am just another bird in this huge tree full of shouting birds, you know? <laughs> right. So, so it's just like, you know, it's like the loudest bird is like Joe Rogan and and so but but it's like so we have so that that's that's like the this weird thing where each of us become a religion and a company and a and an industry and a publishing agency and all the stuff right as it sort of doesn't matter anymore and then with sexuality also uh he's like we sexuality becomes this thing about the whole body the sensuousness of the entire body right as it becomes sort of like gender and all of that stuff starts to break down. And so we grab at these sort of traditional sexual ideas, right as we're getting to the point where like we reproduce with machines and Mm. it doesn't matter what gender you are at all. And, and like er erogenous, your entire body is an erogenous zone. Mm. And like, you know, I, I just keep thinking about, uh, you know, like in another 10 years, like, there there's already vibrators in underwear, like Bluetooth vibrator underwear, you Dude, know, and like and and machines to get you off. This is such a deep, juicy topic. OK, so if we're going into the mechanization of sexuality. Yeah, there's so much that comes up. Right. Because, OK, so like take going back to like the the like Wilbur spread where like we have different phases of consciousness that go into that blossom into new phases of consciousness while the stage before gets kind of shoved out. And so thinking about how much of like sexuality gets sort of shoved out into these other kind of stages where you have like, you know, and like, this is where I get really into pre-trans fallacy kind of ideas. It's like, Oh, I do want to go back in time and see where sexual energy got repressed around. Like, you know, is there a goddess culture that was revered and that got repressed? Like, I don't know. There's like people who are saying they remember that there's like signs of that, but I'm not saying it as fact, but there's a lot of people in the feminist movement that are like, this is the truth. We used to have it be this way. Maybe they're remembering it from another planet. I don't fucking know. It's interesting (laughs) to me though, because there are these like ancient sexual traditions, right? around revering like like that go into the energetic mechanisms of sexual energy so that the entire being can be a body of bliss and that's like part of reunion with full source and that that could be this like incredible way of transmuting these baser energies into energies that expand our consciousness like all the juice right so but then you have these 
these like really intense kind of constructs around those pure teachings where you have like religion and now you have to only, it has to be this certain way around ethics that are um, like ethical codes that are, are given in order to like train the you know, like monkey mind ear. But then we have all these politics on top of it. And so now that's all funky because you have like political agenda and like, like patriarchal weirdness and then like historical warfare all on top of these like code of codes of conduct that come on top of like oh like sacred sexuality weird um and then you have okay and then you have like the push off of the sciences it was like fuck all that religious sex shit let's go into like being able to really understand the biology of it and then like and and it's going towards this like okay and now i can recognize it but then where did we where are people still like inside of the mechanization they're mechanizing their whole personalities like i feel like our personality structures are evolving in such disjointed fucking ways just to manage all of these unprocessed historical layers around our pleasure and around just like our life force energy and how it flows and then so like we are now recognized in our psyche in relationship to sex and relationship and there's like all of this um, discordance and then we have but like but like the life force energy of procreation goes on through the phases so if we're going to integral right like if we're like moving towards t- like a center of gravity that can embrace all of it and you know reach these higher states of consciousness of like luminous mind like what what wants to be integrated and 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 digested and and like brought through in a in a way that we can come to the council with it without and like, yeah, just like harmonizing with the beings who are just so, I don't know, sad and fucked up around sex in general. There's just a lot of disconnection to the, to the mythos and the soul of it, uh, which is, you know, it's like, did that get like tossed out when we started saying, oh, f- fuck myth- mythical thinking or, you know, like that's bad or that's just like an unintegrated stuff. And then you have people that are like, how do we integrate emotional literacy into the conversation and and um, empathic thinking and frontal cortex magic, you know, into this mechanized conversation? Because mechanics are here, whether, you know, whether we think about it or not, or whether how do we integrate it back into the roots of developing whatever kind of future earth visioning that these the people are wanting to call forward. So that's what I think about that. yeah you know it's like i guess i I was thinking the other day about hospitals Uh and i think about this a lot actually about hospitals as well like specifically like the uh uh, obgyn you know (laughs) and like birthing wards and birth and death having been sanitized by modern life and specifically in this way that like they took me after I was born away from my mom and said that she needed to rest, Mm. you know? And, and like, I found Mm. out about this as like a teenager or something. And I was like, Oh, that's why I'm fucked up. You know? Cause like, cause they, there's what they do is they put, they put all of these newborn babies into a room together, which like, if you think about like stress, pheromones and, and scared stuff. And yeah it's like, like it's like it's like everyone like when when you're like stuck in a broken elevator with a bunch of people and everyone's afraid <laughs> and everyone's just getting high on everyone else's fear you know and yeah, it's like oh my god 
the depth of the birth story trauma that our the the Western medical culture is sort of propagating on its people unknowingly is really sad. You know, a lot of one of my deep mentors, Laurel Kitten, who's one of the founders of um, Red Lightning Temple, which is like a, a communal education space at Burning Man where they're reviving the blood mysteries and bringing back women's moon lodge um, mythos into the collective, like re-inhabiting the moon lodge in, in the village, you know, like they say, like, there's some story that like, if you wanted to destroy one of the indigenous villages, you go and destroy the moon lodge first, the place where the women gathered for the dreaming. <laughs> and, that, like, and so like to re to like re recrystallize the, the, like, how do we bring back this conversation of like, you know, the cyclical nature of the feminine wisdom, but like the mechanized reality, it's a, it's a very, and not to like poo poo on the patriarchy. I'm not like bad masculine energy, bad patriarchy. Like it's just like the like a testosterone based nervous system is like that. It's I feel like a lot of what's set up in our culture around this mechanization is like around linear timeline stuff mm. and like kind of more like focus that thing that like it's it's more aligned with a testosterone based system. Um, and that like, so where, where do we harmonize with estrogen based systems that, that move on a, a lunar cycle that actually have four distinct phases every single month of, of dreaming and focus and creativity and dying and reflection. Not that like we all do masculine and feminine men and women, but like the, just like, you know, to create a, a vision of how that goes and where do we, like she, she made, Laurel made all this art list over this winter. I'll just like, cause I got to see all these images, these cartoons that she drew. Cause she was, she was at a birth. She's a midwife and she was at a birth where like, like you see all of these people with their time clicks, like all of like the clocks and the money inside of the hospital room. And this woman's just trying to give birth and they're like, Oh yeah, you're having a little bit of a crack. Well, let's put these drugs into your system. So you can't remember anything. Um, but they have this like a part, I don't know. There's, it gets really messy. They have like this this like twilight kind of drug that they give people when they're giving birth. Sometimes that's a, kind of like a hallucinogen. It can be very scary for people. So the mom can be going through some pretty intense trauma when she's giving birth and then they're getting a shot with drugs so they don't feel the pain, but then a certain kind of hormonal process can happen. And then a disconnect happens when the birth, when the child gets there and then they take the child away. They don't like get to like sleep with the baby right away for the first few hours and like, those have an impact long-term on our culture. Like the number one surgery for women is cesarean birth. I was going to bring that up. I was going to say that I heard, I heard (laughs) from somebody who had a kid recently and they, they like fought to make sure that they didn't get a cesarean because the doctor was just going to give it to her. Cause it's like, because people schedule cesarean births now and then they schedule the second biggest like there's like the three most common surgeries are like taken off the breast taken out the uterus like doing full hysterectomies and cesarean births and sometimes they do hysterectomies without even like letting the like i've heard this i was with a woman the other day had a full hysterectomy without her knowledge after a birth because the doctors saw that it might be an issue. Like, Whoa. 
like, what? Like, what's going on? Like, there's other wisdoms that can be brought forth to the table. And I, I know that we're all afraid of death. Like, you know, like, I did some research where like, people, it's like, it's different than like, having one out of every four persons die in childbirth. I mean, like, I guess, the swing side of that's like, if we're remembering on a nervous system trauma level, they're like, wow, one 25% of our women died in childbirth, better make sure that not happened. Like, is that is that connected somehow? Like there's just some trauma collectively that we're like, we can't die. We can't let them die. Let's cut out the babies and make sure it all happens. Like, I don't know, you know? Yeah. But but 50%, that's what they were saying is that this doctor told her that in 10 years, half of the births in America were going to be by C-section. And it's like, did you see, I, I, I keep going here uh, because I feel like this is something that has not been discussed in the the film at all. But did you did you see the new Alien movie, Alien Covenant? I don't think so. Okay, so they went on. You'd know if you did. It's recent. Yeah. They they went on. It's it's about a colony ship, right? And uh-huh. so it's like the colony ship is going to terraform this planet, which is again you're getting into like the you know technological reproduction of Earth, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and. And on the ship are like, you know, 2000 colonists, like in a, in like a cryogenic container, you know, they're all like mm-hmm. frozen and, and something like 1500 embryos in drawers. And so it's like this whole thing about like, we don't really ever find out in, in that film franchise. Like we just assume that people, still have babies the way that people have babies but like there's this this whole thing about the alien and how it's this perversion of reproduction like the biomechanical monster that hr giger you know that stan groff said about hr giger's work that it perfectly captured the trauma of the the human being in the industrial or like in the mechanized world of the 20th century and like birth trauma and the trauma of the industrialization of war and so in this film, they finally sort of allude to the fact that, like, for all we know, all of the characters that we've seen in the entire franchise were test tube babies or like oh we're like grown up in a like not even like beyond that, like grew up in a in like a robot womb or something. And so there's this whole thing about like they're getting into the origins of the the alien, you know, this this <laughs> this monster. And it's <laughs> it's connected to. And a synthetic human being, like an android who cannot himself reproduce, who is like created by this massive biotech company in order to understand. So there's this whole thing about creation and like the inevitability of the monster in a context in which creation has been mechanized, like the things that we create are like we don't we don't actually even like there's something has happened to the human reproductive system here and like we're we're only creating things with the assistance of technology and the things that we're creating are themselves technological and so we lose like it, it it's like obvious that that's what there's like a window in there where like maybe this whole situation couldn't even have happened if there hadn't been 1500 embryos in a fucking popsicle you know like waiting to be impregnated with monsters Right. Like, how did we get there? Like, you know, and so when I think of that, like, that's like a very, it's all just like, it's like very strong orange meme, right? Like, it's very strong 
um, science, like without. So that's with, spiral dynamics. That's the that's yeah, like, the, the talking dynamics, about developmental right? like, levels. It's the one that comes right before the like global thinking. So it's like pushing off of like religious organized sort of like mythic membership kind of reality. It's like, fuck all of that religious stuff. I'm, we're going to do the opposite <laughs> kind of, or like it's going to, it has to be logic. It has to be like the scientific process, which has brought so much benefit. And yet there's still so much shadow because it hasn't reintegrated this aspect of creative life force which is connected to the mystery you know which got pushed down way before you know it's like the so this for me like uh, inside of like the feminine mysteries it's like how do we reweave the mythic threads that are so like buried deep so that we don't go into these places of really strong logic that's like it has a good purpose it's trying to like discover but it's not it's not harmonized with the rest of the creative process which is steeped in you know, the mythic journey, you know, like the soul journey that's like connected to the myth beyond what we can tangibly see. If we're only doing the scientific process all day long, like that's the direction it goes. And, um, and it's very scary. You know, like I do have a lot of curiosity around what the long-term impact is on a society and on a culture of people where we disrupt um, regularly the the gateway of how we come into this dimension, you know, it's like that, like being born, that's the, like, that's a profound dimensional gateway. It's a rite of passage, both for the mother and for the child. It's literally coming into this form all the way. And if we're disrupting that with our, with the shadows of unprocessed collective dreaming, like that's going to have a really strange texture and frequency in the collective nervous system that like it's, you know, and it comes back to me for, for with Martine Perchel's work, which is so steeped in how do we decolonize our hearts? How do we decolonize the most sacred parts of life, which are birth and death and, and sexuality and relating, like how do we decolonize our relationships and, and do the collective grief work that's necessary to mourn and feel all the way through, you know, it's like these mechanized, realities they're disconnected from feeling they're disconnected mm. from empathy and like the only heal and like that's a sociopaths are disconnected from empathy so it's like are we are we birthing a culture of sociopathic individuals on a like subtle level because we're di- so disconnected from the dreaming and from actually feeling all the way through that loss like we were talking about before like the feeling of the orphan like the traveling people like we're we're a people who came to this country you know and like slayed all of the indigenous people and then we're like here taking over but like we're not uh, like our bloodline is not of this place and so we're hundreds of years in to a reality where it's like are we all kind of disconnected from the migrational paths of our people and then like you know it's are we are a culture of orphans and we're like hungry to like fill that void of root and we're doing it in ways like our, our strategies are just a little off you know because they're they're an integrated strategies they're strategies to get precious humans needs met i mean like you can see that the like that they're all trying to get something accomplished that i think comes from a pure place um, I have to, you know, my humanity like requires me that I, <laughs> that people 
But to, to view people's strategies through the lens of they're making an attempt to be whole. And sometimes right. when we're in a distortion paradigm, our strategies for wholeness create more distortion. That's unfortunate. Um, and what, what does it take on a collective level to, to liberate the frequencies of distortion, you know, like there, it's like we do that on an individual level through doing, you know, birth trauma work or unwinding trauma in our nervous system. But how do we unwind trauma in the nervous system of a collective when for many beings, they're just getting imported with dead food and imported with fucking like Trump media. And like, I don't know, you know, it's like, I, I hope that having conversations like this, right? Like we're, we, the artists are here. We're, we're traveling and connecting and being like, whoa, wait, we're, remember the dreaming, you know, remember the, the mystical presence uh, like, how do we reweave that into the fabric of the collective remembering? And is it all, are we all going to have this like magical golden age wake up call? Like I'm still rooting for it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> literally like digging through the roots. Like, well, I know it's down here somewhere. That's, that's actually, uh, Rob Bresney. This is Friday, June 23rd. This is my little brother's 18th birthday to put yeah. this all in perspective my little brother who just graduated high school and he's going to study aerospace engineering at wichita state university and i keep like i'm reading william Irwin thompson's takedown of mit and the whole like technological plutocratic nightmare of the 20th century that's only getting more and more extreme in the 21st and I feel like it's it's a strange thought to be simultaneously so proud of him and so so urgently feeling this need to warn him as he strides into his his path, which is direct confrontation with what Peter Gabriel called the tower that ate people. I don't know. Did you ever uh, are you, do you follow his work at all? But I said, you're like the third person in this season to be like, get on that. So. Oh, my God. Peter Gabriel is is my number one musician of all time. Like he's he he did this this musical theater, I guess you could call it. I mean, it's not like a song and dance show. It's like it was this very high tech stage production, immersive kind of Cirque du Soleil type experience, uh -huh. but it had, it was programmatic. It had a story to it and it was sounds all, like my, he sounds like my hero. Yeah. He sounds like exactly your kind of guy. Like, yeah, I mean, we haven't even gotten into what you're doing and we should, because I think that, you know, when you talk about reclaiming our, our mythic structures and recasting them in a new light that suits the, the age that we're living in, that's really critical and you're doing it. But so he made this production called Ovo back, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years ago. And it's this, you know, the, the, the sky people and there's the sacred tree, the, the axis of the earth and heavens, you know, and there's this whole thing in there about people building. He, he kind of reboots the, the Tower of Babel mythology okay. and, and, you know, talks about it's it's actually the same exact same mythical arc that was in Wally, which was cool because he did the song for Wally, also the Disney movie, where it's like we build and build and build to this technological height, the apex, and then the whole thing crashes and lands on us. And so he's like, he's got this whole thing about like what he, you know, the tower that ate people, which is a super cool song that like everything in his career, it was like 10 years ahead of the way that 
that certain forms of electronic and industrial music entered the pop universe. Like mm. he like drew like, you know, he was the first guy to use a Fairlight sequencer for uh-huh. for for oh, pop. Cool. Like, I mean, so but he's <laughs> he and, you know, and he he blew up world music like, he you know, real world records was what mm. created the world music genre. Nice. Um, but at any rate, so the tower that ate people, it's actually in the film Red Mars, like Val Kilmer's on the Mars mission, like listening to it in his headphones and mm. in like 2050 or whatever. It was just so funny because they affected this particular trope, which I love, which is that thing that is now true in an even more comprehensive and awful way. You're listening to it as though it's like retro style. Like we look back at I don't know, again, like Alien or David Cronenberg, like any of these movies from like Videodrome from the 80s, where it's uh-huh. it's it's warning us not to get too submerged in the machine. And then uh-huh. we're like on our phones and our laptops while we're like streaming Videodrome and like laughing about it. And we're in virtual reality. So ridiculous. And, like, and we're like, this is so retro. Oh, my God. Who goes into their TV sets anymore? I know. I'm all like, I'm all snobby because I'm like, I don't have a TV. Whatever. I'm like, yeah, bullshit. You don't. (laughs) You are a TV. I am TV. I'm a full on TV station on Instagram, Facebook. I post that and that shit every single day. (laughs) Yeah. So I feel like we've, I feel like we've said everything we need to say about that. But, but I guess, I guess, you know, just this, this notion of, you know, so much of what we take as liberating, as progress, and it, it's true on both sides. It's not just the machine. And I think you were getting to that earlier when you were talking about certain attempts to reclaim these pre-modern forms of spirituality that are problematic. You know, like it's not like you can just lift these traditions wholesale into our world and have them make any sense. How how do we evolve? Like, how do we evolve lineage? Like one of my teachers, she's, she's really strong. And like, how do we understand thoroughly the depth of lineage and the context from which it evolved and like what was going on historically at the time? So we understand and understand the like pure aspects that transcend whatever stage of development the mind is at to go into the places where you're the state experience aspects of it while being willing to evolve, like how can we both honor where it came from and keep it intact to like the pureness of what's happening Mm. and evolve it without being like, Oh, being like cherry pickers of like, I'm just going to take this. It's like, it's like it, it kind of gets into the like cultural appropriation conversation a little bit of like, how do I, as like a Western mystic, just like decide (laughs) what I want to use for my beautiful new moon ceremony at my sound bowl with a little bit of the Tibetan and a little bit of the neo-pagan. And how do I, and how do I make ritual my own? Like, and also like appreciate that like we have this other level of understanding of like I do make my own ritual it is influenced by these time time tested 
pieces and they work for a reason, you know, and how, if I am going to go deep into a lineage practice for both my, just to understand the technology and how that works and to like, you know, honor the, the thousands of shoulders that we stand on to be able to host some of this information because they were committed to the lineage. They were committed to like carrying it through no matter what they'd give their lives for it. Like I, meditation in my life because of those individuals i'm not going to shit all over them because i think like their cultural context or whatever doesn't match my fucking modern idea you know and ideals like so how do i hold the complexity of that conversation in my heart while also not spinning my ego into circles about how cool i am because i'm a meditator or whatever you know like <laughs> yeah so i watched a video the other day that stirred up a bunch of <laughs> difficult feelings in me and i'm curious to know where you stand on this cuz you're a, a thoughtful person you know there's this whole stream of trad the traditionalists, you know, because like you were saying about the linear kind of testosterone mode of consciousness that again, so you get the, the emancipation of birth control <sighs> and then you see the consequences, the sort of unintended second order effects of birth control in society, many of which, and this is where you get into like Rudolf Steiner's whole thing about like Lucifer and Araman. Or like you can do like an Eros Thanatos thing. So you got like the self-transcending evolutionary urge, the risk, like the movement towards unity. And then you have the diversification multiplication urge, like the, the, the urge to break one thing down into a bunch of pieces and fill every niche available in the ecosystem and proliferate. Very masculine and feminine. Like how do you, it's like the pole of unending consciousness and then every phase of, of right. life around. So birth control is absolutely a luciferic technology, right? In the sense that it's like, it's, it's, it's freeing women from the cycle. But in, in doing that. I'm fucking with the cycle. Right. In doing that, it, it also, <laughs> it also creates, it's a conservation of momentum. Like you can't split the process of unification mm. from the process of radiation or diversification so you get you know, we, we tried like because birth control sounded so nice you know i was on birth control for years and then i like and then we just didn't understand the long-term impacts of like what that's actually going to do to the a hormone system and like now what our birth con- is birth control in the water system is everyone taking yeah birth so it's fragmenting like this liberating thing <laughs> is fragmenting the entire ecosystem and i keep thinking about like there's there's this thing i read about a decade ago about um pharmaceuticals and specifically hormone supplements in the water and how they found that it was affecting birdsong. And so birdsong, it turns out that the more effeminate, the more like the higher the estrogen levels in a, a male songbird, the more complex its song was. Take a moment to laugh about that. <laughs> that is so deep. That's so deep. That's so deep. I like. Oh, and so I'm like deep. sitting here being like, "Why am I an artist?" And I'm like, "Oh, I probably, probably ate too much soy or something, you know." But so, so this woman is actually like super judgy and totally unapologetic, and she's saying basically like birth control is actually a bad thing. Moving in with your boyfriend is a bad thing. Like the reason that we have all of these things, it's not that God ordained that this is bad. She's actually coming at it from this modern scientific worldview. And she's, she's saying that the, the, what you're, you know, you're saying like orange meme, like rational enlightenment 
scientific research actually substantiates or like vindicates that those these sort of traditionalist modes where you don't you don't sleep with him until you're married because people are actually happier when they're paired you know and she was like i mean i was this, Wait, this do you have do you have less i like i was talking to you you live longer doctor. you're healthier you got fewer problems yeah. you got more money you know blah 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 all these these metrics that you don't want to admit because you're a liberated modern person and you're like no if i ha- i have to accept these things in order to actually live well Wait, i was talking i was talking to an elder ma and she's like, the reason you shouldn't have sex with multiple people is that you'll have less to compare. You, you won't have to compare. You won't have to have the burden of comparison. Oh, it's so true. Lovers. And I thought that that was super pure. Like, there was just a pure little aspect of it. Meanwhile, <laughs> you know, like, like again, pre-trans fallacy. Like, oh, it was always good when you ha- were sold at 14 to go be married to some guy that you've never met and like how many of them were happy you know like are they happy because they have their basic needs met but like on an emotional level there's not emotional intimacy going on and now we're living in a life where like our base needs are met and so like the next phase of our development of consciousness is like whoa fuck I'm an emotional being I'm so complex and now I have a language to understand that and now actually this relationship isn't harmonious for this way like it's a big swing and like birth control it's such an interesting thing because like you go to countries like third like underdeveloped countries you start giving them some level of birth control are we developed enough or are we still underdeveloped <laughs> i mean i don't know it's it's all a matter of like languaging right underdeveloped yeah. countries but you go to a place where you know a, like you start giving them condoms and and conversations around birth control and safe sex like they're birth rate goes down they have less to kids to deal with they're able to make more money like it's a whole different thing so it's like it's not like oh birth control is bad it's like what is the wisdom that we're holding around it and again uh, we're doing the best we can we're exactly where we're at it's not like people are like i'm gonna make birth control specifically to fuck with the women and the hormonal system like no they're like i want to help women support women to be able to make wise choices about their body and not have to have every kid that they get impregnated with without having to go through the drama of abortion like sounds great you're in the 60s you're in the 70s you're having like pluto uranus come together like that's amazing we totally had uh becca tarnas on the show recently and Uh she gave us the whole rundown about the pluto uranus square and that we're we're living through now is connected to the 60s and all this stuff it was great because we're we're in that time because like we we didn't know like it it seemed like a great idea and like isn't that the truth like we do things as humans that seem like a great idea at the time to try and get to try and go to the next level and then we evolve in these other ways and we devolve in other ways and i'm just like man like we got it. It's it's an interesting samsara out there, you know. Like, what's our <laughs> what's our motive? You know, it's like no over there. We, yes, out out I there, think, outside I the window, like, like in my <laughs> perfect witnessing awareness here. This is uh, you guys are crazy. I'm I'm just I'm chill. And Sorry. again, like the motive, the motivating factor, right? Like the the motivation, I think, was this this was to create more balance and more um, equality and there's, there's side effects. And so how do, and is that, are the side effects, are they a karmic purification of our people? I don't know. Like, is it, is it more information to just have us actually have to dig deeper into our ethics? I don't know. You know, like it's, it's all very interesting. I don't have the answer. (laughs) So I kind of, I wonder about this, 
particular thing, because it seems clear to me that any effort we make to liberate ourselves from the conditions of, well, let's just say from the human condition, however human we choose condition. to pres- totally. circumscribe that, you know, that like, for example, one of my all time favorites is treating death as a disease, you know, <laughs> so that, you know, we're trying to like technologically immortalize ourselves forever. Everyone's trying to live forever. Except here's the problem with that, right? The, the sort of obvious problem, if you're not totally high on Ray Kurzweil Kool-Aid, which is that the more we dig for immortality through the machine, the faster all of this shit is going like the Moore's law issue. So like the more technology is evolving, the, the faster it's evolving. And so the whole system is going faster and faster to the point that it's calling the illusion of the egoic identity into question in the first place. Like, right. like we're at a point now where, you know, Yuval Harari, uh, who is getting a lot of press this year for writing a book called Homo Deus, you know, what happens after we transcend ourselves with machines? I think he's trolling Silicon Valley because a few years ago, this guy's a religious scholar. And a few years ago, he gave a, a talk at Google about the new religion of Silicon Valley, which was which was to see the human being as not this sort of pure liberal agent of the rational enlightenment, but as mm. a cybernetic organism, that's just a, a collection of inputs and outputs. Ooh. And is, you know, that like the thoughts that you have, the things that you want are really just the output, mm. like your choice, you know, this whole notion with like rational economics of like, you know, each person is a self-interested individual is like, that's, that's been completely called into question by the cybernetic totalism that is running our world right now that is like these people are, are you know they they're the whole thing is is technological social behaviorists management of mm-hmm. large groups of people that can be like you can design society as a game to get people to behave you know so that the priests of our technocracy are the programmers who are deciding whether or not we get to say ha ha wow or ang or mad on facebook or whether we just get to like somebody's posts you know <laughs> and so it's like all of the the multiple choice test is laid out for us and so we have Woo. you know so we have this attitude but it's like that worldview if you actually like inhabit it completely there's no room left for the self to even exist there so like in order to get to immortality we have to like abandon the person that wants to be immortal right well and it gets into that place of like well nothing really matters you know if like if there's no individual self like then nothing really matters and i think at some point that's where the ceiling is for that particular stage of evolution, you know, and like, and we can't skip that stage. Like, that's another thing I really appreciate about Ken Wilber's sort of trajectory. It's like, you, there's no skipping stages Shit. on the on the path. <laughs> and so like, we, we kind of, it's like, oh, we look at the war in the Middle East. We're like, fuck all this, like, you know, like warring shit. It's like, we can't skip a stage like that, that is part of the process, you know? And, and so how do we, as 
beings who are considering these other, like the, 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 again, the mythic, they're like, we're calling back our mythic self so that we can feel deeper than this piece of like, Oh, nothing really matters. Might as well go like jerk off and eat cake in the woods. You know, like that there is something (sighs) propelling us on the arc of there's something that's going to compel us forward beyond it. That's my, I mean, that's my wishful thinking right there. And that's my intuition, like the intuition of altitude, right? Like, have you heard Mm. this intuition of altitude piece? I love. No, no, no. Talk to me. Intuition of altitude is this idea that no matter what stage of development that we're at, there was a a a study done and they asked the question, what, what makes a good leader? And people of all different ages, all different nationalities, all different places wrote what they they thought was a good leader. And then they had another group of people who got to like kind of read the answers and decide based on the answers how how mature they were, how old they were. And people, no matter what age they were, basically got the answers right. They could tell who had more experience and who had a deeper understanding of life based on the answer of what makes a good leader. So the, so the theory based so, on that. So, so stamina, what makes a great leader? If it's stamina, then your probably your speaker is probably 15 or 72 with a Coke brain problem. Right, you know, right. so it's, so it's an interesting thing of like, so based on that study and other ones, I want to find out more. They, there's this theory of the, the, intuition of altitude that no matter what phase we're at, we have an intuition because no matter what stage of development, we can have these state experiences. We have kind of, you know, the idea is that there's some sort of architecture of, of, of development that Mm. we're attuned to on some level that no matter what phase we're at, we can see a trajectory beyond our current stage of development and can see it as a piece of like, this is where I'm going. So when I apply that understanding to this like world of like, we're stuck in this like sort of sciencey weird thing. I believe that beings inside of that construct have an intuition of altitude that there may be somewhere to go beyond that. And again, this is where I have to like have a prayer for humanity that we are as a species connected to an evolutionary architecture and that that's part of our sort of like, you know, maybe there's an architecture of soul and spirit. And like you see that in in these ancient technologies, in these ancient t- transmissions of lineage, you know, did they come from aliens where they had d- d- like just fully awakened to the t- architecture of soul, you know, and gave us the transmission. And then these humans just over thousands of years are like figuring it out still. And we have all this like we're making a mess along the way and we can't skip the stages, you know, so I am holding, holding it out. You know, it's like with the Silicon Valley thing, it's so interesting. It's like, wow, we have these beings who are coming into so much money. What happens when those beings get really curious about soul? Like you, and you see that, like my, I have a bunch of friends that live and work at Silicon Valley and they have like yoga and meditation and mindfulness and, and all of like organic food. Like those are, they're living in these interesting kind of like ideological green meme kind of places. Like you're, they're, they're going towards world centric ideology while still steeped and rooted in the place of this like orange so like they're going to the next phase they're pushing that next meme dude that's like there was an episode of doug rushkoff's podcast team human where he was talking about how he gives all these talks 
to like fortune 500 companies. And so he has this personal experience of the people working, you know, the, the sort of evil other, the dudes on the bridge of the death star type people. And he's like, but they're, they're aware of where they are and they're really doing everything in their power to live with some sort of ethical balance with respect to that. And he, he, he said specifically they're goat sharing because like, you know, none of these people have enough time to start their own organic farm. So they'll buy, they buy shares in livestock. And so, you know, it's like me and the five other guys in my office have a goat together and we basically pay someone else to babysit our goat all day and milk it and make cheese for us. And then we just have a drone deliver the cheese. You're seeing it's like we're trying to strike that balance somewhere for the love of God. Like they want the you know, they want that holistic balanced life. Well, it makes me think we make makes me think of the whole mycelium thing, like our, our the human DNA being so close to mycelium, like we're closer to fungus than to monkeys. You've heard this, right? What no. Yeah, there. I guess the the DNA of a human is more closely related to mycelium than it is to like ape ancestors. I'm going to have to fact check this shit right yeah. now. Okay, go ahead. Please fact check this. I was just shared this information. I didn't fact check. Do you check have it, a Do you have a link? Or do you so know in what way? It. Let's see. Human DNA. <laughs> monkeys. Mycelium. I don't even know how you look up something like this. I don't know. Okay, keep going. I'll look for it. Anyway, keep going. Maybe so. Fact check it because I have not fact checked it. Someone, I was, it's all hearsay. But this idea that like human have we have a mycelium kind of of way of being, and so you like taking that into account of this technological boom, right? Well, we you know is this us becoming the mycelium beings that we're so that we can interconnect and then bring these the next phase of consciousness through at a much faster rate. But and the process to get there is a little wonky, and we're like getting it's like shaking certain aspects of the collect. It's like stirring up certain pieces. It's creating some trauma. It's stirring up the trauma. And again, this just gets back to me with where where the 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 root of my work is as a you know I consider myself a bard. You know, I, like my work is as a as a muse, as a as an orator of of mythos through song of my own mythos of my own psyche and the, the mythos of the collective that I, you know, am connected and resonating with my people, my friends and um, sharing songs and bringing forth the song from other people, like getting people connected to their voice, getting them connected back to their sensuality and their sexuality and their womb and unpacking the stories that we're holding in our blood and in our energetic space um, through vibrational sound therapy so that we're clearing out our ancestral karma from our body systems as far as like what keeps us from being fully integrated so that we can clear a vessel to dream a new world. Like that's where I feel like my mm. passion is, you know, and that we, and I, I have, and I, I wouldn't, I would be remiss to account that I have that technology because I have phones that I can talk to my mentors on. I have internet that I got to like do lots of study. Like I've had a lot of experiences in my own healing as a result of all of the evolutionary codes that are currently in place. And I think that's the case for a lot of people. I think we all have such immense opportunity for self-awareness and knowledge and healing. It, but it is, it's striking that balance because we also have a mind that is habituated for addiction and for pleasure and like needing the opiate, like kind of likey thing. And so how do we gain 
enough self-mastery so that we can interface with this mycelium orbit of technology while still remaining intact with our magical selves in a way that we don't get overtaken by the machine, but that we're interacting with it in a way that it's up-leveling the vibration of all of humanity. And that takes a lot of commitment, I think, to self-mastery. It takes commitment to care. It takes commitment to relationship and empathy and like, and these other pieces that, you know, in my ideology are part of this like integral view of like where, you know, of transcendence of transcend, you know, but it's rough. I think we're all getting like, it's like a huge test of our humanity right now. Well, there's like, I think in the industrial age, if you were, Working with machines all day, it meant you were either really, really poor or really, really rich. And I think it's now in meta-industrial civilization, it's flipped, Mm -hmm. where it's like Uh if you're not on your phone all day, it means you're either too broke to have one or it means Uh that you're like Obama and people tell you what's going on. The whole notion of wealth, like the the rich people still get all of their news from somebody else's mouth. Like uh, they're not waiting for Google now to serve them a you know f- third party blog commentary about what happened. It's like it's more direct, it's more immediate. <laughs> and so you know like you're either networked so well that you have that kind of immediacy or you are like the one in five homeless people that doesn't have a cell phone. It seems <laughs> like so, they give you phones now in Santa Cruz. If you're poor, the, the city will give you a phone. But they won't let you sleep on a park bench. They won't let you sleep on a park bench, but they'll give you a phone so you can whatever. Yeah, they'll they'll put spikes in, in the park benches so you can't lay down even and have a rest. But they'll give you a cell phone for free. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I guess if I'm ever sleeping in public in Santa Cruz and, so, and the cop comes up and gives me trouble, I'm just going to ask him for a phone. <laughs> but like, okay, so we've gone for an entire hour without really getting into the the reason that I wanted you to be on this show, which is your awesome music and the elaborate, gorgeous videos that you put together for your music and the way that you carry. And you speak so eloquently about your mission as a bard here. And this is something that that 95% of the people listening to this podcast don't even know that I've spent the last 20 years deeply although mostly privately devoted to my own work as a songwriter so this is like this is the part that i'm actually excited to get into with you because i have not listened to your new album because i am a bad friend but (laughs) i am really curious to know about it and about the themes that you are surfacing with it and and all of the the ways that you feel that your work is touching in with these issues that we're discussing. And I don't know. Tell me a story, Maria. I'll tell you a story. So Scarlet Crow is a collaboration between me and Mama Crow. We've been friends for eight years. The last two and a half years, we've been on a soul mission to, to combine forces and, and really go into deep collaboration around. We did a tour two and a half years ago with a council of women to talk about some of the things that we've been talking about, like birth work, reviving the mythic, like that, that tour was called remembrance, reweaving the magical feminine. And we had council of, um, conversations at each show where we, we performed songs that had to do with like some of the songs that were involved where this, a song called hammer of witches, which is a song about remembering a past life of being burned alive as a witch. And we had conversations around, 
what is it like to have a culture that is based on 200 years of burning people alive because of the fear around their mythic relationships and bringing forward a, a, the Catholic church and the, and just 200 where that rub was so strong is part of building the Western world, you know, and how that burn, the burning times never ended. You know, we're still witch hunting each other. We're still creating a lot of that drama, playing out the karmic script. So there's a lot of group mourning that has not been done on an epigenetic level and an ancestral level that keeps a lot of people's voices shut down. It keeps us afraid of really claiming our gifts. It keeps a, I think, tense relationship in an interesting way on a social level between men and women. Um, and so we dove into those conversations. We also played at songs around, yeah, like the Carmen has a song called Run Little Lady, which is about gun violence and, and the current kind of like situations around how do we, how do we deal with, um, ab- like abuse in the home and how do we take ac- accountability for that as a village, um, and start calling that out. Um, we also said there's a song called Scarlet Moon, which is like the seat of one of the archetypes that I really work with inside of reclaiming the magical feminine, which is the dark shadow feminine, Scarlet Moon and, and the blood mysteries and like where there's taboo around blood and reading about the history of blood work. You know, that in cultures where women were allowed to be equal to men as far as being the the priests or priestesses or religious sort of center points of the community, blood wasn't taboo. Blood was sacred. There was ritual around blood. There was holding around that aspect of the cycle. There were moon lodges. There was a ceremony. There were rites of passage. In cultures where women were not allowed to be the priests and men were at the highest level of spiritual authority blood became very taboo and grossed out and like all of these weird stories around the blood and, and hauntings. And so in, we live in a society. Bloody Mary in the bathroom mirror. Yeah, we have where there's like a hijacking around our connection with the blood. And then you see like, oh, blood's creepy. You've got all these women that are uninitiated into the power of their moon lodge. Um, and then they're like ashamed of their body. And then they, that goes into their relationship with men. And then like, what do the men think of the blood? And then it's like, oh, oh, she's just on the rag. There's this whole weird, like uneducated conversation that's going on. So we have, we're having those conversations. There's a song called child of Magdalene, which is the song I wrote after reading or after watching a movie called the Magdalene sisters, which was based on the Magdalene laundries. And so the Magdalene laundries was a period of time after the burning times where from the mid 1700s all the way to 1996. All right. There were these asylums that were developed for women to be um, sent as the fallen women. So if women, it were, they were originally rehabilitation centers for prostitutes. So you have this like again, and that like the Catholic Church is like, we got to rehabilitate the prostitutes. And then w- women started going and living out their entire lives, cleaning laundry, cleaning the stains off the sheets, just like Mary Magdalene cleaned the stains off her soul when she admitted to being a prostitute and killing her children. And, um, and so there's this whole mythos of Mary Magdalene that's being reinforced in the Catholic Church. Again, 200 years, women were sent there if they were unwed mothers. Women were sent there if they were deemed to be emotionally unstable or if they were too beautiful to keep chastity. Um, and so you have this like really intense, repressed 
situation around women's sexuality in the Catholic Church. And then for 200 years, they're just living as servants and slaves against their will. And, and the last Magdalene Asylum was closed in 1996. And the re- only reason we have information about it publicly is because a mass grave was found with 155 unmarked bodies. And they found these bodies were like, why are all these young women's bodies buried in this mass grave? And people were like, this was in Ireland, I think. And they're like, oh, and then women who had who had escaped or left the asylums started coming forward with their story. We're like, oh, I was a child of Magdalene. Oh, I was in the asylums. And all of their horror like stories were super trippy. So a couple documentaries were made. This movie, Magdalene Sisters, was made. I saw that movie. I was so disturbed because, you know, I grew up Catholic. And I, I see – and it's like that's my lineage is like my blood lineage is from that time. Like if I was going to go on the mythos of like remembering my like soul lineage it's like I can feel that really strongly in my spirit of like what a huge chunk of the magical feminine sexual awakefulness went underground during the whole like arriving of the catholic church and and um and so these are the pieces of the history that I'm interested in in mourning publicly. It's not like, oh, oh, bad Catholic Church, bad patriarchy. It's like, wow, actually, the impact of the need, like, because the Catholic Church came on and in response to a need that was happening. Like it's a state, it's another stage of the process. We can't skip stages. So I'm not like I'm wanting to come with like bad, 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 shame, shame, shame. Like people were responding to a need and the church formed as part of a need for people want needing to be governed, you know? And like, so how do I make peace with that inside myself uh, and heal and grieve more and mourn at the deepest level, the like where the, those parts of the magical feminine went in, went away. And how do I reclaim that and bring that forward and come complete with myself, not with blame or shame or anger, towards the men or towards religion or towards the government, even though that is stuff that's getting purified. But how do I come complete myself as like, I'm a sovereign woman. I am like a child of Magdalene, you know, like I Mm. am of like a, a, a connected resourced center inside my woman, inside my blood mystery and inside of like the, the beauty of being in a feminized body in an estrogen based system and without covering up my breasts or feeling ashamed, like celebrating the sexiness as a child of the earth as like a pure being, you know, and how can I bring that radiance as a woman to my, to other people? And how do we all waken up to that radiance together and then come and celebrate life together, you know, as we, shifting out of these places where it gets all just it's you know distorted just so surrendering to the need to under like fix the distortion but like or like shame the distortion but just to notice at the most profound level possible where distortion exists in my psyche and where it's trapped in my nervous system um change it (laughs) and like transform that and then sit in a center of gravity that is claiming all parts, all phases, all stages of the evolutionary process so that it's a, I'm a living, walking being of, of a fountain of light. You gave me an idea a little earlier when you were talking about the difficulties of claiming the traditions that were native to us once upon a time, but we've, uh-huh. we've been displaced, we've been colonized, and we've been, in, you know, in, interbred to the point where 
it becomes really confusing and we're sort of spiritual orphans. And I'm like, I've been thinking about, you know, what if, what if we did like a, a 23 and me for everybody? Cause like, I know a lot of friends that it turns out that they're actually 10% black. You'd never know, you know, uh-huh. but then they do the genetic analysis. And so I think about in a networked age, the identity is networked. And so rather than being the sort of full-blooded heirs to a particular lineage, we do actually have to kind of figure out how to have like a basket portfolio of investments. So yeah. It's like, it's work. It's, we get the opportunity to claim multidimensional reality. Like we're multi, now we're mixed bloodlines. We're multidimensional bloodlines and like tracking our migration patterns. It's like, how do I just like now have an understanding of the migration pattern and understand like what my ancestors survived so I can have a bigger breath of what are we surviving now? Mm. (laughs) What are we surviving now? So like if we're able to like bit torrent this sort of and say, (laughs) okay, like, you know, I'm 50% Ashkenazi Jew, you know, I'm, I'm, whatever, 15% Scottish and 15% Irish and 10% Cherokee and whatever, a lot, a lot. Then at least then we have sort of, we can tear pages out of the different playbooks and, you know, put them together and say, okay, this is, it makes a lot more sense for me to be half appropriating Ashkenazi Jewish culture than it does for me to be 100% appropriating Chinese mysticism or whatever you know and then and then the question is then like once you kind of figured out your package of traditions that you can sort of authentically borrow from what are we gonna build with that like where do you see all of this because clearly you can't invest so much passion in a calling and do you know a work like you do without some sense of the world that you're trying to facilitate through all of this. And I'm curious, there's always a point at the show where I want to get into like, what is the world that you hope is going to happen in your lifetime or beyond your lifetime or a little bit of both. But I'm curious to know, like, what is this, what is this star that you're trying to catch with all of this harmonizing effort? Right. The the world bridger. Um, the star I'm trying to catch mostly without the, like, I, I think I, I have the, the dreamer in me sees the like really radical future cities of light, whether it's like permaculture village or like really epic green cities where they're like basic human rights are really acknowledged at a deep level where everyone has food and water. Everyone has like the, the necessary support to, to go through healing around whatever psychological or some like, um, physical ailments that have been, you know, are genetic or, or like part of the society. So I, I long to and dream forward a, a a world where that is at the center, you know, and that, that our capacities for empathy and yeah, the, like a literacy of, of empathy is, is, is like the thing that everyone's really excited about. Or, and I, I think that that, when I see and feel into a world where that is possible, I see a thriving, you know, I just see a thriving Gaia and whether or not that's, 
this planet or not, <laughs> you know, like that's, that's the, str- that's the thing that I'm into. Like, that's the, those are the things that like really get me going because those have, those are the things that have brought me the most, um, soul nourishment is just my own relationships where empathy has become the, like the center point. And that's where the most creative, inspiring pieces come in. So I, I, I want to see a world where people are, are ripening to their full potential. Um, and while, while feeling supported to, to live a life. And I, I, I like, it's really simple. Like, I don't think a lot about it. I, it's just, it feels like really, um, it's more the response to how many people I know are in so much pain. And it seems like the pain that people are in is all the same. And it's a feat and it's rooted in disconnection and, and distortion of, of what they're capable of. You mentioned earlier the, the intuition of altitude. Mm-hmm. And so I guess, you know, it's different reading somebody else's statement from writing your own. That's sort mm-hmm. of the point. But I guess if you were to intuit the altitude of your average 30 something in another 50 or 100 years, like, because I think about this a lot, you know, the more complex society becomes, the more complexity each of us has to internalize in order to navigate that society. And that's sort of like why we're on this runaway terror right now, because <sighs> because each of us has to be the entire planetary civilization of human beings somehow or we're going to break down and regress into like tribal conflict and fundamentalist nonsense or you know like there's a certain amount of backpedaling that we have to do in order to actually like sink the roots deep at the same time we as we spread the branches wide right like it makes sense for us to counter all of this or like complete all of this forward movement with an, an again like an embrace of everything that we are and have been as as not just people but as like life forms you know i spend mm. a lot of time thinking about how the origin stories of where we've come from evolutionarily are mm. so key to understanding who we are now that like the difference between Believing that evolution is mainly competition or mainly cooperation, for example, huge difference, mm. right? Mm. So, yeah, so like theoretically, each of us contains or at least contains the, the suggestion of that bigger hologram of that thing that each of us is going to be. And so like if we scale this forward, if we, if we move forward a hundred years from now, it would seem like every person has to like your average 30 something has to be like way way wiser than we are today and i wonder if you if you can like feel into that much wisdom is so relative because it's such an interest like i i think about this because i look at pictures of like 31 year olds from like 50 years ago and those folks look old like they just look weathered and haggard by life um and he like they, they so there's some there's some way that they're they're adulting in a way that i must not <laughs> be or like or they've or had four I, kids already or that i've had like way more privilege than those folks have and so like i've gotten to retain a this other kind of um, useful energy. Like I don't like, and is privilege not mature? Um, I like, I, like I, I meet, I, cause 
in my experience, like, you know, wisdom as a 31 year old, like I get reflections from my elders. They're like, wow, you have a lot of keys as a 31 year old that I, it took me much longer in my life to be able to get. And so the feedback I get from people in my life is like, wow, you get, you're having a lot of these other things go on. And at the same time, there's things I'm completely unwise to around just like, that I imagine my ancestors were completely hip to by the time they were my age, if they lived this long, you know, so, and I'm meeting 20 year olds that are like hip to things that I just got hip to last year. And they're just, they have it now. Like what? You know, like, and so things don't bode well for me when I, when I, when I meet those people, when I'm like, meet my, my roommates like 10 years younger than me, or I guess eight years younger than me. And when I met him, he was like, exactly like on the same tip that I was on. And like doing, I was like, I think I hate you, which actually means I'm already a dinosaur and should probably just step out of the way. And (laughs) and there's this way that like perspective taking does happen as with age. Like when we think of astrological transits and like trans certain psyche cracks that can only happen with age. So I think a hundred years from now, again, like we we're living in an age where people are being born into an information age and there's some information now. It's just that I feel like it's now part of the collective omnisphere where you just like, you kind of wait, you're just know it by having to be in this, by swimming in the streams of, Mm. of conversation and internet that are just part of cultural language that keep coming in as part of cultural language. And so like, my again a hundred years from now i just hope my my i would dig that part of the cultural language which you see happening now is mindfulness is empathy is um a consideration of like is like a nervous system that doesn't have as much of the like fight or flight trauma in it. So a nervous system that can take things a little bit slower when um, emotions are running high and like, and body systems that can actually see a bigger picture around that or people who can see, you know, like see multidimensional reality right away without having to like train that. Like my prayer, I mean, this is another prayer and a part of the work that I do like with, with couples that are expecting and writing song, like, I do a thing called birth song or writing basically a, an energetic song that comes from where the prenatal realm into the postnatal realm as part of like a, just a prayer and a spell to keep their spirit really deeply intact with those realms of the beyond this world. And the, so like my hope is that as a collective, not like, cause this is the story of where I'm like, oh yeah, this is just how it used to be. We were just deeply connected to those realms, even though some of the mythos in there is a little questionable for me now having the science that I know, but like, well, what if we still were able to call back into that place of like, oh no, I'm plugged into the multidimensional reality and I have the deeply scientific, logical, rational thinking capacity so that I can sort through the things that are um, are wishful thinking or bullshit or they're just a narrative that I'm taking on as a way to manage the complexity and what is actual um, coded, somatic, surrendered truth 
feeling of love and compassion. Like I would love 30 year olds all over the world or 20 year olds or 15 year olds, children to just be coming into platforms where that's the norm. Like what the fuck could happen? Like what kind of miraculous healing could happen on a planet where the majority of people are coming in with a meditation? Like, um, and it's not like religious, you know, just like, but a mindfulness practice so that they can scientifically get their brain waves happening in a way where they're more effective. They're more creative. They're able for quicker, more rational thinking to get them to creative solutions. Like that's what I'm jumping into the sh- Like that's the ship of the future that I'm putting all this energy into. You know, like my fuel is for that. The future that doesn't <laughs> want to come back to this. Right? <laughs> it's like when you're like, Oh, you know, my mom gets all nostalgic about these times like the 1910s, like she's really into arts and crafts furniture and like Louis Comfort Tiffany and all this stuff. And that turn of the century, like Art Nouveau and all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, but the odds are that you were like using an outhouse, you know, are you, are you cool with that? And then you, on the other side of it, you have the exopolitical lore which I hold for the purposes of this podcast as neither true nor false, but an interest in cultural artifact, right? And in that artifact, you know, they ask these humanoid aliens, like the tall blonde aliens that look just like us, but they're like a better, they're getting like a more sorted out planet of humans from somewhere else or whatever. And they say, oh, so, you know, what do you experience us like? And they're like, well, we don't really like coming down here because you have an unpleasant psychic aroma, you know, like they're just like, you guys, you're like, um, it's like how I imagine in the Holy Grail, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, when they have the burn the witch, burn the witch. And like, everyone's just like dirty and dis, you know, like disgusting and judgy. And you're like, man, I'm really glad I don't live in the middle ages right now. And I kind of feel like that's, I'm in a weird place. And it sounds like you might be in a weird place too, of really wanting the future to be like, thanks. Bye. Like, thanks. (laughs) Thanks for doing all this work to make us way better than you. But we're not going to see it that way because we're so much more empathic than you are. And we really, we really identify with your suffering living in the past like you do. Um, but, uh, you know, I got to, I'm having like this weird historical premature empty nest syndrome thing going on. (laughs) hilarious oh well that brings me back to that piece of like how do we how do we honor our ancestors right like the because i there's a part of me now that's just like wow like their consciousness and presence and complex emotions and like this, like nervous systems and like what, like just managing the information they had and organizing it according to what they thought could be effective. And like, that's just build, 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 build. And here we are. But like, how much have we really evolved? How much have we really changed? I always think about this too, with like language, like the development of consciousness, the development of thought, you know, like how much, and I think about this too, with the like people who are on the autism spectrum that I've worked with. It's like, Oh, like, you know, they're not forming language and sentences, you know, are they dumb or are they intelligent? And then I get dreams and they're like brilliant. They're like telling me these things. And so like, it's same with our, like, I don't know. It's like, it's hard thing to make. So like, how different are we really in our capacity for presence than 10,000 years ago, 20,000 years ago? Like what is actually different besides what we've built? 
I don't know. <laughs> but I bet they knew because they were smarter back then. <laughs> or not, or, or we're smarter because our brains have evolved because of all the mushrooms we've taken. I don't know. <laughs> I think we've taken a lot less mushrooms than they did. Or we, or, but we've also, but we have nutrient, we have like more nutritious food or some, some might think because like, and that's why we're living longer. So our minds are, are, were they capable of more? Like, I don't, it's, it's, I get, it's what, the lesson here is, is don't compare. <laughs> don't compare. <laughs> so like, this is the trip I get on. It's like, well, I, I, I love to intellectually go in these realms as you know, and as you do also, like it's a rare, it's a rare breed that like can just like, let's go there. Um, oh, I try not to. Because, because there is benefit to hindsight. There's benefit to looking and exploring and contemplating these things, but at like at what end, like what's the purpose? So that's my sort of like curiosity. Cause I'm like, Oh, I want to see the patterns of the history and the da 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 da. Cause it's going to help me inform the future dreaming. Um, and that's where it's all going. It's like the more, the, the more deeply understanding that I can get into where I've come from, the stronger of an intent I can project out into the future and the more effective potentially I can be in the whole hologram of this vessel of service. Um, yeah, as long as I don't start chasing my tail on like, <laughs> he's like, <laughs> and that's just it. Right. Cause I think I, I had a Corey Allen on this show who is a mindfulness educator and we had like two hours of conversation before we even started recording in which <laughs> he basically just interrogated me on the entire premise of the show being like, so your whole point is to look at the imaginary past and the imaginary future. And that's supposed to help you out with being present right now. And I was like, Oh, son of a bitch. Like it's, <laughs> it's yeah, there's something to that, that I can't there's, escape. I like that. And I, 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 I just, I think about the like arc of time as one of the teachings I got from one of my meditation teachers is that there is a, there is a profound, I think there is a way to resolve that because I think, again, if we're, if part of what inhibits us from being present are these unconscious feelings of being an orphan or these, like some of the things that are buzzing in our nervous system from unresolved trauma of the past, like we do take time to be present to those places we call fractured parts of our soul home. You know, it's like, it's basic soul retrieval aspects and basic 101 soul retrieval yeah right like you're like you're we're reclaiming these fractured parts of psyche and soul from other alternative timelines and again not to the point where we're like just like creating big ego structures of like oh i'm a multi-dimensional being who's traveling on all of these dimensional timelines which i totally do like i <laughs> do that shit yeah it's super fun it's interesting especially for the muse one in me the muse the bard brain she loves going there um because it's it's fascinating to explore the level of depth of emotion and feeling that can be felt in soul connections that feel like they're happening on other like timelines, you know? And so at what point do we integrate that into the present moment? Especially if like for me, if you're me, like I get distracted by those emotions. And so I, what, what do I need to do to integrate them to the, so I can, you mean it. like, you mean like lovers from another life? Like, cause I've, I don't know. I think we maybe have jumped the shark here, but like I met, I, you know, I've met some people at Burning Man that I was pretty convinced were like, 
you know, I got to know some folks and then I found out that they went to a college I almost went to. And, and I was like, you're my wife from universe B. That's really like, what do we do with this information? Totally. Well, wait, it's like, it's that Sketchy. what I like to do with it. I, cause again, it's like this piece for me, it's fascinating study on, on the present moment because of, and the choices that we're making in the present moment and like the soul alignments that happen. And like, cause I, you know, I talk about this with my partner, like we have a really strong, solid timeline in this place. And, you know, I'm meeting other people that I have really strong soul chemistry with and maybe they, you know, we work out the aspects that could have been like, Oh, that's the, like this, like potential timeline. And we're maybe we're collaborators or something, but like there's all these other timelines that are possible and, and they bring up a lot really strong emotions and feelings. And as a being who's committed to feeling all the way, um, but, and not in a way that gets tossed around by my emotional body, samsarically to play out some karmic scripts of whatever my, whatever it is, like that, that, like that's the soul journey I'm on. I'm like, how do I have the most capacity of presence and love and integrate the like subtle psychosexual aspects of these connections in a way that stays committed to the things I'm actually saying yes to right now and allow it to actually clarify my purpose and vision um, while bringing more light back into my body? Because I think those connections, they, they, they show me parts of myself that maybe like my long-term relationship doesn't show. Like that's why it's really so cool that in this time it's like, well, we get to explore having emotional intimacy with multiple people. There's new ways of just relating to that energy. And I, I'm, I don't know, as a, as someone who studies relationships strongly, like I'm, I'm fascinated by, alternative timelines and like and past and past live relationships and not not to the point where I actually need to know the details but the one in me who dreams it like I dream it I get visions I have dreams I have profound experiences that hit me on a deeply emotional aspect that open my heart and that actually shift my consciousness and my capacity to love like that shit happens you know and it's like my life is I'm gonna be a little facetious here while interrupting you uh, but but I'm curious, do, isn't this like I'm going to and, and I'm on the side of the trad uh, wife here because yeah, I'm on a total other trip right now. Like, I mean, no, because this is this is uh, this has been a, an issue of intense personal meditation. Mm-hmm. At what point is it just cheating? Like, <laughs> seriously, because this is this is where it is. Like, you know, there's. I, maybe it's just a, you got to decide for yourself kind of a thing, but I feel like I've always been somebody who's had this huge network of connections online and people I see occasionally throughout the year as a traveling artist. And these people have taken up an enormous amount of psychic bandwidth and I can't pretend like that, you know, at least some of that psychic bandwidth would not have been better allocated to the woman that I'm actually living with. Even though these are not necessarily, you know, I'm like, I've always been looking for that way to just be open and love as widely as I can and to be present to as much of this world as possible. And it's this, in a way, it's, it's a commitment not to the person, but to being the best lover and leader that I can be and to, to be truly generous. And so you're committing to something that in in some sense is even more like 
difficult or like more ambitious, you know, it's like broader. It's, it's, it's more demanding. But then I heard somebody on elephant journal. I read this article the other day where they, they said, that's like somebody saying that they can't lift a hundred pounds. So they're going to lift 200 pounds. And I was like, okay, I kind of, you know, and this question of like, how do you, this is a great, this is a great question. I mean, my partner and I go in this all the time. Like are, when is it not cheating? Well, you know, I don't let thoughts of desire go on and I don't, um, hump other people. <laughs> and, like, like, I don't, like, like the, like the erotic, the erotic expression of, of that loving energy is contained and focused on my man. But I, you know, he's a homebody and I travel all over the place. And like, as someone who, um, runs a lot of like strong, sensual, awakened energy in my body on purpose, um, I really appreciate and love having really deep, soulful connections and conversations with people because I get a lot of perspective on my own love and my own heart. And I get to bring that back to my relationship. Um, yeah. And it's like my lifestyle right now supports that, you know, if I was at home all of the time, I would be having more of that with my partner and like that, that would be really juicy and fun too. And it's not like, Oh, I'm doing this over here. I'm taking away from it. It's like, well, he's not with me. Um, I'm, but I'm keeping the container of the alchemy of our, our, our sexual integrative connection focused here and carrying that with me in these other connections, you know? So I, mm. th- that's where the line is for me. I'm not kissing other people. I'm not r- romping around, like merging on that level and the, the merging of consciousness and of, of, of inquiry and conversation. And again, like those pieces that are happening that are trans erotic, you know, they're like, you know, they, they're influenced and informed by how erotic energy infuses our being, but they're not, it's not like, like swirling, like, and I think it's an energetic thing. And I think it's a a yogic practice. And I think Mm -hmm. people have their own willingness and openness and like different phase where they're at with it. Um, but it is, it's like, it's a, it's a big, it's a deep topic to my heart right now. Because I mean, if you know, in this in this uh, sunset effect where our <laughs> sexuality in its dying throes before full mechanization reaches out to express itself through the sensuousness of the entire body, right? Mm. In mm-hmm. the sense that you and I are both as as romantic poet musician types really embodying this, you know, erotic archetype that, you know, living in, you know, like David Data talks about living with the, you know, your, the whole universe is your lover. Then how is conversation not intercourse? You know, like how is, cause like Tim Leary, I remember Tim Leary in his first public talk about LSD said that in the future that he imagined that, a, a wife might have more of an issue with her husband tripping with another woman than actually sl- having sex with her. And I thought I that that was totally had, prescient. And I had that experience. Actually, a partner of mine did trip with another woman and I totally freaked out. Like, because I actually felt it in my body as them hooking up. Like I could feel like, because of the ecstatic energy that was being exchanged, um, even though they didn't technically hook up, like I had the felt sense of my partner hooking up with someone else. And I had to like, be like, what happened last night? And they're like, Oh, I tripped with him. I was like, damn, like I felt it in my, my 
core yeah. of like this other thing happening. Um, so again, like on, on some level we're in union with everything all the time anyway. Like, so like we could go into that, like, like, Oh, it's all everything. It's all nothing, nothing matters kind of place with it. And, and I think something does happen that it, like, yeah, like the, the, the subtle yogas of energy transmission that happens through conversation through that happens through eye gazing that happens through dancing that happens through making music that like i'm basically arguing that your partner should beat me up right now oh i know <laughs> like what are you saying michael garfield hello you know like but like intellectual merging you know and like i think that um that's a way that we do get to share the like exquisite sensual light of life and celebration of life with many people that we have soul connections with. And it doesn't have to be a, a thing around like ownership of the intellect ownership of our like thing. I think it becomes different when there's like an emotional conversation that starts to get cultivated around like, where's this going? You know, like that becomes a different mm piece and the I think is different for like I think it yeah I think a lot of things about this because it's um so maybe it's the planning <laughs> planning makes it weird right Plan, like, well and like and I think there there is this aspect of like the, the energy exchange that happens on a biological level when bodies come together and actually start to like move energy together. And that creates an ecstatic energy that's different than what I experience having conversations with people or like, I, this it's different. Like I, I, there is a line. I don't know how to define that line. Um, but I, I know that, on in on some level it doesn't exist and on some level it's very clear. Like Fajin and I have very clear boundaries <laughs> in Like, you know, what are we actually doing here? Um It's that Supreme Court justice that said I I, I, I can't define porn, but I can tell you when I see it. <laughs> and it's bl- you know, it's blurry. It gets blurry sometimes, but um but and I like the the, the conversation of like, well, like Fajun made a joke the other day. He's hilarious. He's like, I'm not into astral polyamory. <laughs> like when we're, where we're like connecting with other people on the astral planes. I'm all like, well, what happens if it happens in a dream? He's like, well, you can't like, and so what I like, that's pretty conservative for a Californian. Well, it's like, it's really funny. Congress. It's like a big, you know, conversation piece. It's like, well, am I perceiving like an alchemical, interaction that's happening between other another person is that from another life is that from an alternative timeline what do i do as a mature practitioner to integrate the energy without pushing it into the shadow and making it wrong or bad or like i'm a shameful person because that's i'm aware and present to the experience what do i actually need to do to actually run my own energy all the way through my body so that i can meet that with equanimity and love and actually like fortify the the alchemy of the connection in a way that's useful for this time Mm. Right on. I don't know. If, I don't know if I have anything to say to that. I think that that's a complete statement. <laughs> and any further t- pecking at it would just be pointless. There you go. Dude, it's so great to have you <laughs> on the show in conversation. 
about all of these topics. They're so juicy, and I feel like we really could have gone for another few hours before I would have utterly lost my mind. Awesome. Yeah. It's so great. This has been a long time coming. We've been talking about doing this for some totally, time. Totally, totally. And we're going to have to resume our hilarious millennial non-planning of a second conversation shortly. <laughs> Where can people find your work online? Where can they hear your music? Where can they watch your videos? All of that can happen at my website, which is M-A-R-Y-A-Stark, S-T-A-R-K dot com, mariastark.com with a dash in the center. Like Arya Stark, if you're a Game of Thrones fan, it's just Arya Stark with an M on the front. Oh, um, hadn't even thought and, about that. I know. Here we go. And uh, you can find music videos on YouTube. You can find music on Bandcamp, iTunes. I just released Scarlet Crow Remembrance with some of um, our just sort of inquiry around these juicy topics. And uh, if you're interested in working with me, you're like, oh, I'm a woman. I want to like connect with the voice of my womb. I want to like unpack what's what I'm holding um, genetically or in my womb space that's like keeping me from like clearly visioning the like future earth that I'm most juicy and committed and inspired by that all, all of that way to work with me and connect with me is on my website as well. I highly recommend it folks. Mm. Thanks so much, Maria for being on the show and uh, may your future be a bright one. Mm. Thanks Michael. What a joy. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation as much as I did. Future Fossils is part of the MindPod Network, an amazing collection of podcasts along with Third Eye Drops, Synchronicity Podcast, It's All Happening, The Astral Hustle. Be sure to go to mindpodnetwork.com and check it out. And if you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash Michael Garfield. Thanks again. Until next week.